Welcome to March 2024 with the Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. First, a huge thank you to all my wonderful patrons. We have a couple of new ones in the last little bit, and I'm so grateful to have you with me. I also want to say we have some great episodes coming up celebrating women in history and women's leadership, something so dear to my heart. I'm trying to do all the speaking about leadership and women's leadership I can. Now, the ebook Royals, Rebels, and Romantics in Love is now available. You can get it from my website or email me, carolann at carolannloy.com. Getting a new website. So if it's not quite ready, you can email me and then you don't have to wait. I'm so excited. There's been great response to the idea of tea and talk. And I will tell you, New York is ahead of the game and already asking for some dates. So we will be coming to New York and other places soon. Just let me know where you are and if you would like us to bring tea and talk to you. Just tell me where you are. Anyway, stay tuned because another wonderful episode of Royals, Rebels, and Romantics is coming up now. Well, welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here with one of my very favorite author and historians, uh, Sarah Griswood. And you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, um, my little (laughs) sort of an idle area behind me with some of her collection. I have many more of her books on my Kindle. But thank you so much uh, for joining us and chatting with us about this new book of yours, which is fabulous and so interesting and a little different than what you've done before. Yes and no to the bit of a new departure thing. Because before I began writing the Tudor biographies, I was for many years a more general writer. Okay. As a journalist. Uh, And way back, believe me, it is way back, in my 20s, I wrote an early book about women's diaries, about what topics women tend to write about. So in a sense, this is return, a return to an earlier rather than really a new departure. Oh, that's really interesting. So the idea of diaries and women's diaries in particular. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to receive um, an early review and just to give people a sense of what this includes. And this is um, just a few little things. So um, some entries offer personal insights into major historical events. And I love this description. We dart between moments of light and dark, thrills and the mundane wild joy and crippling grief. So that is sort of the nature of diaries. Mm. In our lives, we dart between these and then in the keeping of the diary. So tell us about um, in the return, how did that work for you? Exactly. Well, as you say, people do dive between. I think what really fascinates me about diaries is that you see what's on the person's, the diarist's mind at that moment. One of, I mean, among so many adventurous, agonizing, extraordinary entries, one of the entries that 
I always remember most clearly, isn't really either. It's Virginia Woolf saying that three things happened today. This is the summer of 1918. There's talk of peace. She and Leonard have made their first visit to a Bloomsbury club, and she's broken her tortoiseshell spectacles. She says, the first <laughs> is, after all, the most important, blah, blah, blah. But it's perfectly apparent it's the tortoiseshell spectacles that are preying on her mind. And haven't we all been there? That's perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this book is organized around the days of the year. So on the 1st of January, there's a, a range of diarists writing from, well, over the book, it's across four centuries. And I sort of wanted to see what, whether women in the past were interested in the same spectrum as we were, whether they, they had the same mixture we do of self-preoccupation and public affairs pain and pleasure. And very often, yes, they did. Oh, that's marvelous. And it really is just a glimpse. And you mentioned the four centuries. So mm. what was it like to cover that much time? Mm. Well, of course, there were, if you like, heydays of women's diary writing. The earliest diary in the book because it's uh, because of it, we're following the calendar. We're only covering those who were writing on the you know the Western calendar. There had been this explosion of quasi diary writing in the Japanese court in the tenth century, but mm. we don't go. So it's Lady Margaret Hoby, fractionally earlier than her better known contemporary Anne Clifford, uh, writing at the very end of the Elizabethan era, and. Her diary is quite largely a religious reflection, but it does also have that what she did today, walked out, dressed the sores of some poor people. Her husband was troubled with a, a looseness in his bowels, one assumes, <laughs> uh, so she stayed all day with him. And then, of course, with Anne Clifford, you've got her writing very clearly about her determined efforts to resist the pressure from the king, as well as lower mortals, uh, to give up her own family lands to her husband. So really, we're kind of there already. Mm. A bit later, that diary, it was really the 18th century, is when we really, really see a huge burst of diary writing. But but the, the, the origins, not, not only do they go pretty far back, but those 400 year, year old voices still speak to us very clearly. Yes, and you can imagine that. Why do you think, you mentioned in the 18th century, hmm. there's sort of an explosion. Why do you yeah. think that is? Mm, oh, interesting. Um, I guess maybe because of the increased, well, the increased interest in the self, that I think is what really kicked it off in the post-Renaissance days. You know, this idea that, yes, almost that, that an individual was something worth recording. 
But in the 18th century, of course, there was the huge cult of sensibility. And there are always going to be practical factors like a grow any growth in literacy, like the means of writing a diary, sheer paper and pen becoming more readily available. So the diary itself also tells us something about the economics and the time yeah as well as what's written in the diary. Yes, absolutely. One, the bugbear for the anthologist, the student, anyone like me, is of course that historically, that fact that you needed effectively money and leisure and a perhaps a certain position, not only to write a diary, but to have it preserved that it was a literate form. And then there's the question of whether you are someone, you know, whose papers are going to be kept or not. Does traditionally prioritise the professional, the upper middle classes? And often in the past, that has tended to mean white, the white classes. But a lot of work is being done now, thank heavens. So a much greater range of voices is becoming available to us. And that's a, a, a huge boon from when I first started looking at diaries. Well, yes, and you can see a difference from when you started looking at diaries until yes. now that there are more voices. Mm. But yeah. you're looking specifically at women's voices. So even within the upper middle class or middle class, yeah. women's voices. So yeah. do you think women kept more diaries than men? Was that a female thing, it, do you think? It was in some ways regarded as being a female form because of its unassuming nature, the privacy the optional secrecy. Now, I'd say that some of these women actually wanted to be heard, but if they didn't, they had the option. And to me, why I let the title go as secret voices, even though some of these women did know that publication was on the cards, is that all the same, they used their diaries to voice if you like secret feelings, very often those feelings that would have seemed unacceptable, transgressive in their own day. Okay. So you mentioned, and I have it, I'll just hold it up a little bit closer, a bit closer so everyone can see. All right. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Nice the publishers of yes. It's just, it's, and you can see the pen. It's just beautiful. Um, so one of the things with a diary, and, and mm -hmm. you mentioned this, but I want to talk a little more about it. Mm -hmm. Someone else often makes the decision if it will be kept. Now, you can burn your own papers before, mm -hmm. but is what is the sense of that? How does that play against yeah. these women's voices that someone else decides will keep this? Yeah. I know. It's interesting, isn't it? There is very often an element of editing, whether the diarist is themselves the editor. I tried to avoid uh, memoirs, diaries that, that were very obviously written up, glossed over years later. I wanted, for me, the key thing really was the experience as it came, not the experience edited with uh -huh. hindsight. But 
inevitably there was there was often an element of 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 editing queen victoria's diaries after her death her daughter princess beatrice transcribed the diaries not transcribing those entries she felt were too risque or too personal and then burnt the originals but all the same we still have our uh, victoria after her wedding night describing how albert put her stockings on for her you know you slightly think well good on pip on princess beatrice <laughs> yeah enlightened editor there for the day Yes, she does leave some things in that um, (laughs) doesn't (laughs) help us see a different side of Victoria than than we might have necessarily wanted. So how can you describe the process with Mm -hmm. just a couple of the women of how you found the diaries, where you found the diaries? What was that like? Well, in a lot of cases, I was prowling the bookshelves of the London Library for things that had been published, but back in the 19th century in the very early 20th. And there's a lot there because that was a huge heyday of diary writing. And very many names made it to print then even that we don't know today. I mean, a few of the others, obviously, some of them didn't come from printed sources. Uh, the diary of the, the the suffragette describing being force fed, for example, that's in manuscript in a London library. Uh, but well, I did have that background with a book that I did in 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 my twenties. Mm. But then you start uh, you start studying. In fact, there's often different layers to the preservation of someone's diaries. Anais Nin's a very good case in point. Her diaries were effectively her life's work. She was photographed storing them in a bank vault around 1950. But although they started coming out in her lifetime, there were different layers. Basically, they got ruder and ruder. Um, she wound up being the diarist who, you know, many young women felt had had liberated their own sexuality. But there were things like the original diaries wouldn't necessarily include the material published much later in the volume called Incest, and for fairly obvious reasons. She is indeed talking about her own sexual relationship with her father. Uh, So, in a way, it's quite a complex process the the afterlife of the diary, as it were, just as the writing of it is, because diarist after diarist discusses why they're writing, whether they do want this to be read, what it is, whether it's an outlet for them, or whether they are trying to reach out to some kind of imaginary friend they can't find in real life. Oh, I love that idea. Can you can you tell us more about that? Who well, or, about reaching out. Well, and about the, the different reasons that they share and how that might affect what they write. Yeah. Well, Anne Frank, perhaps the most famous diarist of all times, addressed her diary to Kitty, to an imaginary friend, because she said this was the ideal friend she didn't have in real life. 
Mm. Almost 200 years earlier, Fanny Burney had addressed her diary to a certain Miss Nobody because she said, to whom can I speak absolutely frankly? Nobody. So there you are. (laughs) And so there is that sense of on the one hand, they needed privacy secrecy. These were things they couldn't say to those around them. But on the other hand, they kind of wished that there was someone, that they could have spoken these feelings out loud. So I think there's very much those two strands running in the diaries. Do you think um, they, of course, they edited some as they're writing them, but do you think all of the people whose passages you found and you have included thought they might go public, or do you think some will really? No. no, okay, definitely not. Um, and Lister in the early 19th century wrote in a code only cracked many, many years after her death. She was, of course, writing uh, over here. We know her as television's gentleman Jack. She was writing about her lesbian affairs, which presumably gave her a particular reason then mm-hmm. for privacy. Beatrix Potter wrote her youthful diary in code, again cracked only after her death. And what she was writing, in some ways, that would also have seemed transgressive in its own day, because she she kept her diary in her earlier years uh, when she was she hadn't started publishing the little tales yet hadn't become famous hadn't found her way she was still a victorian young lady at home and as such writing about how despairing she felt and how furious she was sometimes about oh trying to get her ideas on the study of fungi uh, accepted by a a male scientific society would have seemed pretty shocking may not seem shocking to us now but it did more than a century ago yes and as i recall she had to have her uncle um sort of stand in for her yes, <laughs> so that's right yes so i would imagine there was a lot of anger about that yeah oh, that's really and, interesting yes. anger and frustration i mean quite often women being women, it's cloaked. It doesn't come out as overt anger. It's cloaked in a kind of wry, rather self-deprecating humor. But the frustration is there all the same. So when women are feeling frustrated, angry, that kind of thing, is there power? And I'm, I'm wondering about the power women take for themselves Mm. writing these feelings, even Mm. if they are encoding them or cloaking them somehow in actually taking them outside of themselves and putting them on paper. Yes, I think so. Elizabeth Smart, the writer, put that very clearly. She said, yes, this diary does sound vain, but that's what it's for, to get it out of my system. And I think a lot of diarists did use their own feelings that way. And is that empowering for them? Yeah, forgive me. Um, Yes, I think it was. I think that putting it down in their diaries 
even if they were only speaking to to nobody, to their older selves, whatever, it nonetheless, I think, gave a kind of sense of validity to their feelings, if you like, and that 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 all important release. That's I think that's wonderful, and and I love that. Now, of all the women you sort of got to know through their diaries, if if you were to be able to invite all of them to a lunch or a few of them, say, say you could invite four or five of these women okay. through time to uh-huh. a luncheon. Okay. Yes. Inviting the lot might be difficult. <laughs> so so many. Yes. I, I thought that wouldn't be a lunch. That would be something else. So four or five that you would really enjoy having a chat. All right. One of my Probably my absolute favourite diarist is Nella Last. Again, we in the UK know her as TV's Housewife 49, but I don't know whether that ever came out in the States. She was a, quote, ordinary woman uh, writing through the Second World War and after it, living in Barrow in Furness, married, She had been a conventional woman, but in a sense, both the war and writing the diary set her free. And she wrote it as part of the Mass Observation Project, which was a big social history study that asked many people of all works of life to keep a diary for them. And she did. And what's so fascinating isn't only the details of life in the war. It's how she discovers in her 50s that she can move beyond that kind of the rules, the marriage in which she's lived all her life. She stays married, of course, she stays loving her husband. But there's many entries about how now she looks back and she, you know, she wouldn't play by those rules any longer about how now she's far more her own woman. So Nella last for one. May Sarton, the the writer and poet, uh, I loved her diary just because, oh, it's something about, it's not only the beautiful writing, but it's the quality of pleasure in it. Her journal of a solitude, the way she writes about the, the huge, you know, the huge pleasure the clarity, the gift of just things like the early spring flowers from the garden. So definitely May Sarton. Uh, I think for me it would have to be Virginia Woolf also, even though I do suspect she might not be. What was the phrase they used to use? Not quite the girl to go to Paris with. (laughs) Maybe not quite the single chattiest and easiest companion for a lunch. Who knows? But nonetheless, as a t- as a teenager, as a student, I wouldn't go away without taking a copy of her writer's diary with me. So it has to be Virginia Woolf. And I mean, her mind is like no other, incredibly sharp and wonderful. OK, that's three. So, oh, yes, totally. Lady Cynthia Asquith. Um, now, she's in a way an unlikely diarist, uh, a socialite writing through the First World War. And she only begun keeping a diary as a bet with somebody else. 
And it's full of things like um, how she just spent an hour or two looking at her own reflection in the mirror because she was looking particularly beautiful today. But in a way, at the as world as World War One was ending with its huge casualties, she wrote one of the lines that always stays with me: that she thought that in a way peace would require greater courage than anything that had gone before, because they would all have to realise that the dead were not dead only for the duration of the war. And I thought, yes. It's not just looking at yourself in the mirror. I mean, she wrote very uh-huh. movingly about losing relatives, um, about the horrors. Oh, that's amazing. But she was still clearly fun. <laughs> oh, I love that. Anyone else? Oh, I mean, I could just go <laughs> on and on and on. Oh, maybe Barbara Pym. Now she's one with a nice rye. Uh, the novelist, you know, uh, who we all think of as someone who who writes entirely about uh, English ladies in vicarages taking tea with the vicar. But in fact, her diaries are much racier than that. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and how they'd all get on, I cannot imagine. But anyway. Well, that's fun to think about, too, you know. True. So as you were reading these entries and deciding um, what to include, Mm. two questions. First, were there things that just really surprised you, either about an individual or or something? And then when we've talked about that, I also want to talk about how you decided which bits to include and Mm. and which women to include. So first, surprises, and then the process. Okay. Well, surprises, yes. I think the biggest surprise for me wasn't the things that had changed. It was the things that hadn't. It was that sense of familiarity to find women from maybe centuries ago having the conversations with themselves that we still have today. You've got a Elizabeth Fry, you know, more than 200 years ago, the great Quaker and prison reformer, discussing in her diary how she worries that her husband and children are taking her away from her her vocation, her work, her career, effectively, how to balance work and family. Well, that's one we think of as being of today. Mm-hmm. And the same woman, Elizabeth Fry, is writing about how difficult she found it after a hard labour to bond with her newborn baby. Again, we somehow, the phrase postnatal depression is a modern one, but guess what? Clearly. So I think it was things like that that most surprised me. Also, how frankly some, not all, women in the past did write about sex, about their bodies, about menopause, menage. Well, that's that's wonderful to know. I mean, that we still share mm. so much. I think that's one of the yes, things that makes it so powerful. I agree. To know that this is a shared experience. You yeah. feel a little less alone. Yeah. So you must have had, and it's it's wonderful, as you see. I mean, it's a really, really mm. rich and deep collection. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you weren't able to include everyone, no, all they said. 
I mean, I definitely, I could go back and do now a complete different vo different volume, even with the same diarists, but certainly with many, many more diarists out there. I could really only begin, I could begin only begin close to home with the diarists I already knew and admired, and then very consciously trying to make it more diverse and to get a greater range. But the the structure of the book gave me the, the practical starting place because January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd, you go through and each day list possible diary entries you found and then make your selection while cursing the fact that it seems as if everyone writes on, say, August 12th, and absolutely no one writes on August the 13th, you know, but hey. Um, I tried in a way sometimes to tell little stories, to group entries together so that you could follow a woman through a particular patch of her life rather than just dot completely random things through the book with no context. So that played a part in it. And I mean, other things were simply unsuitable because they were so long and couldn't be cut or because they were clearly had been polished up later to a great degree. It's always a judgment call, though. I mean, there is no absolutely no right or wrong. If I handed you the same books in the same format, you'd undoubtedly come up with a different anthology. Well, and that's part of it. I mean, that's part of your um, interest and fascination and what you're drawn to. And I love what you said about the similarities because Good. Mm. the way they talk about life has a yes. lot to do with the way we talk about life. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed and, it does. And I love that. I'm still thinking about the tortoise shell glasses, you know, that <laughs> I know. maybe yeah. peace, but what I'm really concerned about <laughs> is yeah, quite. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's something we really do um, take mm. forward. Mm. So one of the things that, again, this the um, the review I was given said is that this is a kind of book, so I wonder if this is how you feel, that you dip in and out of. You may not mm. sit down and read it all in one setting mm -hmm. or try and get to the end of a chapter kind of thing, mm. but that you can dip in and out. Yes. No, that's t I'm totally fine with that. I mean, perish the thought that people keep it in the smallest room, but if they do, hey, fine. <laughs> no, I know a number of people who say that they are going to keep it on their desk or whatever and read the entries for that day so that on, mm -hmm. you know, June the 8th, they'll see what other people were doing on June the 8th. And that's fine and great. Obviously, I like to think I'd like to think also that if you did read the whole thing more coherently, you might come up with, you know, some perspectives on women's history that hadn't come your way before. But I'm totally fine with however you read it as long as you do. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's one as I read larger chunks than one day, mm. I do start to get a sense of. Mm. Um, what is going on sort of historically mm. in different times. Yeah. Um, so I I just found that really interesting. And I, w I wondered what feedback you'd heard about the way people have read mm. it because it's not like some of the others, you know, again, my little collection here, 
um, where you can track chronologically. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. You know, yeah. through that. So, so yeah. that. So yeah. now we've we've talked about the women. We've talked about the their writing and how you came in and sort of met them as you go. Some of the um, surprises you may have come across. Mm-hmm. But were there some moments that that sort of stopped you in your tracks, almost as an epiphany, or they were having some sort of epiphany, or it really spoke to you? Yes. Um, well, there were some very, a few very painful to read, of course. Uh, one is not in the book because A, it's too long, but also it was a journal letter written up afterwards. That is Fanny Burney's description of undergoing a mastectomy in the days before anesthetic. Oh. Pages long. Be grateful it isn't in there in some ways you know it's a a very um scary read others mm, Anne morrow Lindbergh, you know the wife of aviator charles Lindbergh, uh, writing in the summer uh off immediately after the kidnap of her 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 toddler her bit their baby boy and the discovery of his body and that is really painful the epiphanies maybe were more like things like the Elizabeth Fry entry I, yeah. I noted before, because I think that's the big thing for me. That was the shock. But I didn't just find it there. I found it time and time again, you know, when women were writing about why they wrote. I think that's it. I think it's that their sense of identity was so strong, and that's what they were using the diaries for. And I think that's the, for me, the, the big sense, if you like, of hail fellow and well met. Oh, that's beautiful. That that sense of identity, mm. and and writing that identity, and now we have a collection mm. of these identities. And you mentioned you kept the word secret because many of these identities are what they were writing about. Yes. They couldn't express fully elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is really, that is wonderful. And I think that's a really wonderful place to end that sense of identity and the strength of being able to express the identity somewhere. And now that we can meet them where they are. Yes. And just in their own words, which is so powerful um, to really get a sense of this collection of women in their own words, is just amazing. So thank you for for bringing us that. Now, I always have to ask, Mm -hmm. what's next? What's coming up? What are you thinking? Oh, gosh. Well, for the moment, I'm fully busy on dealing with writing articles about this and so Mm -hmm. on. Uh, then it is a question of whether I go back to the Tudor world. There are a few possibilities Uh on the block, as it were, Um, or whether I continue this theme for a little bit. Okay. Oh, either of those would be wonderful. So (laughs) it would be one or the other, or maybe both. (laughs) Well, Tudor women, I mean, that'd be good too. (laughs) Uh Yeah. 
Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Now, um, where can we follow you? Social media? I'll include all these links. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes, I'm on X, on Instagram, and on Facebook. And in every case, it's basically just my name. Okay. Well, I'll have links for all of that. I'll have certainly lots about the book so we can all get our copies. I'll tell you, it is just glorious. Thank you. And, and I'm thrilled to have it. So Sarah Griswith, thank you for spending this time with us and sharing these women's words. I just, I just love it in their own words. I just really love that. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. If I could ask a favor, if you could please subscribe wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, maybe leave a comment, a rating, share with a friend. It means so much and helps so much. Another big thank you and oh, big shout out to my patrons. I would love to hear from you what you would like to hear more about as we keep shaking up history together. Thank you.